Welcome. This is the Real Estate Investing Mastery Podcast. Hey, what's going on, guys? Joe McCall, Real Estate Investing Mastery Podcast. Today's going to be a good episode. We're going to be talking about houses and multifamilies. I've been talking a lot about vacant land and I love vacant land, still do a lot of those houses and lots. But I got a special guest on today. His name is David Pupo. And we're going to be talking about sending multiple offers on houses, investment properties, or multifamilies. And this is something I've done for many, many years. But David has it down to a science. And he's got some really cool things that we're going to share with you guys that you can get access to and maybe even use yourself. So when you're talking to a seller, how would you like to go from getting one out of maybe every 20 offers accepted to maybe three or four out of every 30 offers accepted? You can double or triple your deal flow by just giving sellers options, just giving them an option. Say, all right, here's a cash price. Here's maybe a lease purchase or here's an owner financing price. So when we can give the sellers options, guess what? You're going to do more deals. So we're going to be talking about that on today's podcast episode. I got a free book here for you though first. I didn't have it ready, but now I do. It's my new land flipping book. You can get this for free by just going to simplelandclass.com, simplelandclass.com. And this is a blueprint for how to make 10K in 10 hours. And uh, it's a phrase that I like to use. I'm not making any income claims or guarantees. And that's what it sounds like. It's not because you have to put in the work. But it's very, very doable to make $10,000 a month working just 10 hours a week if you've got the right systems in place, if you're making the right kinds of offers. And you can get the whole blueprint for my entire land flipping business right here in Simple Land Flips, uh, my book. And you can get it at simplelandclass.com, simplelandclass.com. That's going to be a link to watch my webinar. It's a class that I have. And at the end of the webinar, you can actually get a link to download the PDF of the book. Cool. So go check it out right now, simplelandclass.com. Let's bring David in. David, are you there to go ahead and turn your video on, would you? Yeah. How's it going, Joe? Awesome, man. How are you? Man, I'm, uh, I'm happy, man. It's uh, wintertime, but it's still only 80 degrees here in Orlando. I don't want to hear it. Yep. Let's change the subject. He's in Orlando. I'm in St. Louis. It's 45 degrees here. It's 80 degrees there. I'm wearing long sleeve sweatshirt. He's wearing a t-shirt, but whatever, right? Whatever. <laughs> um. At least we have a at least we have a good baseball team. We got yeah, team. that's right. true. <laughs> <laughs> so David, hey, thanks for the show. Tell us a little bit about yourself. While you're talking, real quick, I'm going to close my window. But tell us a little bit about yourself and how'd you get started in the real estate business? Yeah, so so I'm I was living in South Florida. Uh, that was where I was born and raised, and so uh, I grew up with a lot of people in my in my life. My family, my mom did title. My aunt was an agent. My cousins were loan officers. So I grew up around real estate. I went over to UCF uh, over here in Orlando, met my darling and sweetheart of a wife, now at that, at that time, only girlfriend. But uh, so met and uh, we both loved here in Orlando. So we, we settled over here in Orlando after. Took a corporate job um, right outside. I, I majored in marketing and finance over at UCF and uh, took a corporate job and really started realizing after about a year or so I didn't like it too much. Um, I would say that, that you know, you, you get to live and learn. And that was one of those sales positions I did not do good in. I didn't care for the product, didn't care for the clientele. And but I was lucky enough where I started finding out about bigger pockets. 
so bigger pockets was I'm sure it's not the first person or the last person that's been on your podcast mentioning that. But um, yeah, it was a podcast I was listening to on my commute, podcast in between appointments, podcast ending of commute, podcast while I was in at the gym. And then I just started realizing that I was I was always wondering, you know, my family was all around real estate, but I never heard this world, right? So start going to the local RIAs over here in Orlando and just realized that this was Alice in Wonderland. I just I went into a whole different world where I, I found out people were just as crazy as I was, if not crazier. And then I started realizing I was becoming crazier. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's awesome. So how many years ago was that again? That was in 2016. 2016. So about six years ago. Yep. And then what what happened? So uh, I started coming up with that that phase out strategy, right? Didn't like the W2 job. And what I did there is I I just at one time with with Sam, who was my wife, now girlfriend, I mean, who was my girlfriend at the time, I, I told her, hey, we're gonna, I'm going all in on this. This is the time to do it. You know, coming out of college, didn't have a lot of crazy amount of liabilities, didn't have any children, no house, no mortgage. So saved up only about three months of my of, of what I had in terms of expenses at that time. And I jumped in. I, I joined a local brokerage here in Orlando that specialized in the investment world. And man, I was putting out hundreds of bandit signs every month. Uh, so it was just cranking out as much as I could on the hustle side. Love it. All right. And you had three months of reserves. Mm-hmm. How'd that work out? Did you do a deal? I did. Yeah. Yeah. So the first one was... Uh, honestly, it was too easy because the rest of them were really hard after that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, what kind of deal was it? Yeah. So there's a, there's an area right near all the local attractions uh, in Orlando. Uh, and I, I put out a whole bunch of bandit signs out there because it was an area that a lot of renovations were going on. And uh, somebody at my brokerage had a property under contract. And my job was to be the guy to find the buyers for them. Right. So I went out there super early, would wait for my lunch and my calls to come in. And I would go do another round of, of bandit signs. So I was, you know, it was two waves of stuff like that. And uh, somebody came by the property. I was right near it. He goes, okay, I'll buy it. And it was that simple. But at that time, um, we were at a brokerage. So I, I was splitting up almost all the amount, right? So I had to make sure once I got that first check, I realized really quickly, holy crap, this works. But now I got to go make sure I'm selling a whole bunch of them, right? There is no salary. So it was really cool to get that first check. But then it came also with a reality of like, Oh crap, I need to go make sure I get more now. Good. Okay. So um you're doing traditional realtor stuff then, kind of. Yeah, that yeah, that world was more um we were just still having um around here in Florida, it was still common to have short sales and foreclosures still yeah, pretty yeah. heavy on the market. So that was still the bread and butter. Um, but it was starting to get phased out. Right. Okay. So then what'd you start doing after that? So then after that, I started doing, um, I started working with some of the developers in some of the higher end areas here in Orlando. And I was helping them find land for them to build these nice big old 1.4, $1.5 million houses on. Uh, and then I'd be the listing agent on the back end. So then I went a little bit more on the, the local realtor route. Okay. Uh, that one was a pretty crazy one, but the sales cycle took forever. Yeah. And then what? So from there, was able to start my own uh, investment company. So I did DMP. It was originally DMP. Uh, I found a partner and we made Florida house buyers. Nice. <laughs> and so from there, I mean, we, we've been able to start scaling up the operation. We started only with Orlando, then Central Florida, then all of... you know, It's called I, the I-4 corridor, which goes down to Tampa, all the way up to Daytona. And then it was statewide. And then, it was, then we trickled into more states from there. 
Okay, cool. Good. So how'd you get into the creative financing side of things, you know, making um, subject to or owner financing offers? I started getting into that once I owned my own, once I owned my own investment company. Uh, we weren't obviously doing too much of that on the acquisition side, but I started finding out uh, about being able to take over subject to properties. That was my first introduction uh, into more of the creative financing world. So being able to take over somebody's payments like that, uh, especially when it came to when, like I said, I was, we were still kind of talking about foreclosures and short sales at that time. So then that's when that started rearing its head. I didn't do much with it at all until I started trying to buy properties. And I was like, well, this one makes a lot of sense for me to buy. But at that time, starting off the wholesaling company on my own, I didn't have a whole bunch of cash. So, hey, would you be open to anything a little bit more creative? And it's so so the, the rock started gaining the momentum. All right. Very cool. So um, give us some examples then of what what do you mean by... When I say creative financing, what do mm-hmm. I mean by that? You know what I mean? Like you make a cash offer. You have right. a guy come in with either their own cash or their own financing in place as mm-hmm. on the B2C side when you're selling it. But you also, now you're talking about buying it with from the seller with creative financing, right? So what does creative financing mean to you? So yeah, what creative financing really is, is that at the end of the day, I want to be able to have that seller become the bank of that property. And then I only have to pay them on a monthly amount. I don't have to go try getting qualified through a mortgage company. As anybody who's 1099 or owns their own company knows, it is a circus to do that. I've had to do it twice and I've hated both times immensely. Uh, So being able to have somebody that's open-minded enough to really just be okay and they trust you. That's the biggest thing with really owner financing more than anything I realize is that person has to trust you because they're still looped in on the deal. Right. So we're paying them on a monthly basis to be able to make sure that they we're holding up our end of the bargain. So that was really one of the more stronger things is making sure that now they are the bank. I'm paying them. I'm taking over the property. I'm doing all the renovations. I'm putting in the tenants. But now they are not getting the calls about a leaky toilet, anything going wrong with electrical, any windows being busted out. That is now my responsibility. Yeah. Okay. All right. Good. So what kind of deals are you doing today? What kind of uh, opportunities are you chasing? Houses, commercial, multifamilies? Yeah, we are primarily focusing on multifamily or uh, we do do single family residentials as well. I am now being able to get that now where I I will be targeting commercial actually very soon. So uh, we have been able to see that that triple offer approach is very open to investors. Um, as As you kind of mentioned in your intro, right? I'm now having conversations where the seller is going, I like this option, as opposed to saying, no, this doesn't work for me. And that is a completely different ballpark to be in. Yeah. Okay. Very good. So let's keep it to residential. Let's stop. Let's not talk about commercial. But like when you're now making a seller an offer, mm-hmm. um, you make a cash offer. Orlando is very competitive. The entire state of Florida is very competitive. Do you feel like making multiple option offers to sellers gives you an advantage over everybody else? And why? I do because uh, no matter what, it's still about building relationships. And if somebody isn't crazy motivated, like 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 let's theoretically say somebody that needs to go sell their house before it forecloses on, obviously they need to act with crazy urgency. But people that might be trying to sell their property in 60 to 90 days, they're not working with the same type of motivation. They're looking for people that they feel like know them, trust them and understand what they're kind of going through. So the triple offer allows that situation. It's 
This can fit for one of the situations you spoke to me about. This one can fit that other situation. And this one is, you mentioned this price that you wanted. Here's the price I can get you even maybe more than that. Okay, cool. And how do you structure your owner financing offer? Well, first of all, what are the three different offers you give the seller typically? Yeah, absolutely. So the first one is a cash offer. Uh, so that one, as I mentioned, I own a wholesaling company. So you know, at the end of the day, all three offers are going to work for us. So the cash offer is our wholesaling offer, right? That's going to be one between 50 to 60% of what we believe the retail value is of that property. The second one is called the steering wheel offer. And that one is the first seller financing one. We're probably introducing interest into it. So it's more on an amateurization schedule. Um, we do fluctuate with the monthly payment, obviously, depending on how much the down payment is. But the down payment isn't going to be as appetizing as what the third offer usually will be. Um, and what I should say too, the second offer is going to be strategically closer to the cash offer than it will be the third offer yeah. because we want to show that steering wheel, right? So we want to steer it to the third offer, which is then a principal only offer. And that offer is going to be them being able to, of course, they have to own it free and clear or very close to it. That's obviously, you know, you got to make sure you're qualifying them that way. But we are making sure that with the principal only, we're, we're either at their price or sometimes if it has a cash flow uh, bonus to it, we can even go above it. Right. And so yeah. we make that one really, really appetizing for them. If somebody's just saying, I want 300, I want 300, I want 300, and I go to them, well, I can give you 315 if you're willing to do uh, 100% of the owner financing. Suddenly, that it opens up their eyes. Yeah, very good. Are you targeting at the beginning when you're doing your marketing? Are you targeting free and clear properties then? No, I, I don't only do that. Of course, with owning a wholesaling company, we have like 500,000 leads in our database. So, you know, we're always recycling through a lot of those, right? So, just like any kind of sales funnel, we try just seeing what the people are open to with my lead managers and acquisition managers. And then, say, if the, if we, we know that that cash offer really isn't going to be too uh, appetizing for them, you know, we, we have that kind of script language in there. Well, hey, are you open up to any other situations? And then, hopefully, by then, if they're saying yes, then they get that transferred over to me. And then I'm getting more information about, hey, is there a mortgage? What's that monthly payment look like? A really big thing that people forget about here in Florida, a lot of people have solar panels. And that one is also a bit of an obstacle. Those are liens that are attached to the property, sometimes like $30,000, $40,000. So you got to also be able to account for those kind of hopeful things that are not on that property. But we've done it before. Uh, it's, it's nothing too crazy. It's just more of an annoyance to deal with, yeah. actually. But yeah, so we, we make sure that that is going to be really qualified through that end of it. And then um, based off of their conversations that we're having, we would go, okay, well, we can be able to propose three different solutions for you, right? And so body language is very important with that. Um, we know that when we do offer that first one, it's the anchor offer, right? So we want to bring back their, their down their expectations. So when we bring them back up to that offer, that third offer, and that's at their asking price or maybe even a little bit higher. Now they're like, wow, okay, I'm actually able to get what I want. It's a little, like I said, we're having a conversation where they get to choose as opposed to you just go, well, no, I don't think that works for me. Okay, good. So let, let's, let's go through an, a, a simple example. And then let's actually sure. look at a real deal that you've done recently. And you have a document here. You'll share your screen in a second. I think will make it a lot more sense to people. Yeah. Uh, so let's use a simple um, 
$300,000 house. Mm -hmm. Can you run through the three different options you might offer on a $300,000 house? Yeah. So not a problem. So uh, actually the the case study is actually at that price point. So this is going to be pretty... You want to just... Let's just jump in the case study then. Sure. Go ahead and share your screen and then pull it up. You might need to zoom in a little bit. Let's see what I can do here. And this was a multifamily. Is that right? Yeah. This is a multifamily that we were able to do. Um, It is... Uh, that and that's when the the tr- the third offer is always really incentivizing for the people. Um, we are able to be able to really come up with something really juicy for them. Let me pull that up really quickly. All right, cool. Here we go. Zoom in on one page if we can, so we can see it better. You need a little more? Are you good? Yeah, keep on going all the way. So yeah, this was a property that we were doing back in October. Uh, no, September. I'm sorry. This was back. No, October. Yeah, it is October. Okay. Cool. So. What I did here is I was able to show you guys how we were able to generate this. So our primary marketing method is still cold calling. Um, it's still something that is very easy for us to be able to replicate and reproduce uh, consistent yeah. results with. Uh, so obviously, I also put in here that we also target multifamily equity list uh, here in the state of Florida. Right. So I put a little tidbit there for you guys. Uh, I found more success in multifamily because these are people that already understand passive income. So the mindset is already there, right? If you wanted to think about what your avatar is, these people are already open to it. Nice. Right. So I also put a little tidbit there for you guys. Always understand in the real estate world, money's in the follow up, right? So this first hit our database in May and it took us, uh, you know, roughly five months to get it under contract. Right. So from May over to October. Right. Hey, real yeah, quick. I forgot to mention this. By the way, guys, I'm going to have Dave has given us two free gifts here. This case study, it's a Word document. If you're listening to the audio podcast right now and you want to see this, you can go to my YouTube channel. But you can also, I'm going to give you a link where you can download it. If you go to joemccall.com slash David, joemccall.com slash David, you can download this case study. And we also have another two or three page document of frequently asked questions because a lot of the sellers are going to have questions like, well, what about this? What about that? Yeah. And those are two resources you're going to want to be able to refer to later on. So again, joemccall.com slash David to check this out. So go back to what you were doing there. Not a problem. So I'll give a bit of a backstory for this four unit. It's over in Leesburg, Florida. So uh, just for a case for the audio people. So uh, this was run by a family. Um, and the father had had passed away a few years back. And the problem was that the father did a lot of the day-to-day stuff with the property, right? And so when he passed away, the son really didn't do much at all with this property. And unfortunately, what ended up happening is one of the units, uh, one of the tenants had a grease fire and it burnt up um, one of the units pretty badly in the kitchen uh, to that point where the, the city went in and condemned it, right? So then from there, um, uh, we he, he did mention that you know up front and it's very obviously, uh, it's very evident to see that. Uh, that you could see some of those smoke, uh, those smoke signals on the outside of the exterior, right? So out there, you're being able to also see that there was also a couple of other code enforcement violations with the property. Uh, roof was super old, soffit torn up, and obviously, as we just mentioned, condemned unit, right? So at this time, this son is just letting this thing fall apart. He has two vacant units, obviously the one that's condemned, and then the other ones are are paying them when they kind of want, and he didn't even care. And I saw very quickly what the potential was on this. So he was only getting when they paid essentially about a thousand bucks a month, 
right? But I knew that you could get this up to 4,400 pretty easily, um, especially if you obviously do the renovations right for these four units, because it was right near City Hall. It was right near one of the hospitals. And it's actually right near one of the local boating lakes that a lot of people pull up their boats to. So it had how much of repairs goals. do you think it would need to get it all all four units rent ready? At least one hundred and twenty five thousand for all four units. Okay. Yeah. So I originally thought it was a hundred, and then we walked in, and then it ended up being more. Okay. Yeah. So so then right here, based off of that information, finally getting this person on the phone is when we go into now the triple offer sequence, right? So then we made the first offer, which is that cash as is wholesale offer of two hundred thousand dollars. Um, and being able to pay in, you know, like a typical wholesale deal, right? In 30 days, cash as is, no appraisal contingencies or anything like that, right? Uh, so then we go into the second offer. And he didn't want the first offer, by the way. He wanted something that, uh, and, and I'll go through it in a little bit, but he wanted something that gave him some money up front. But he also, he was kind of a lazy landlord, but he still liked the opportunity when they did pay to get income, right? Yeah. So the second one, that steering wheel, that steering wheel interest offer, right? So then we went in and once again, this is very strategically priced closer to the cash offer than it is the third offer. So the second offer then comes in at $240,000 with a 10% down. We were able at that time to negotiate if you wanted it, um, 5.5% interest based off of the 30-year amortization that comes out to $1,450 to him on a monthly basis. Um, and then that was going to make it a 10-year balloon. So that's 120 payments total to him. Obviously, for the audience that doesn't know what a balloon is, the balloon is when everything comes due at the end of that time that you negotiate. But uh, if, if what you can do is you can base the monthly payments off of an amateurization schedule that obviously drops down your monthly payment a drastic amount. right? So that's super strong to be able to understand really quickly there. So the third offer then is our like this is like the the creme de la creme offer right it's the principal only payment and so the principal only payment is now as as Joe actually mentioned you didn't even see the example guys uh 300,000 he wanted originally 280 so i go up and i go i will give you 300,000 for this one i will also do a 25% down payment but I'm getting 0% interest and I'm making the, the payments a little lower than offer two. But it wasn't too much where it would deter him away from it, right? So there's also that. We also did that one based off of a five-year balloon as opposed to a 10-year balloon. So it made it a little appetizing for him because he's going to get his money a little bit quicker. Well, let's, let's talk about how you came up with the $300,000. What sure. If the property was fixed up, what do you think you could sell it on the MLS for? 450. 450. So you said it needed about 120,000 in repairs. Mm -hmm. So you're giving him about the about real close to the as is value of the mm -hmm. property, right? The as is in terms of like what it's worth in its current condition. Yeah. Okay. And 25% down. Um where is that money coming from? Is that coming from your own pocket or are you getting private investors money? We get private investors. Yep. Are you putting that private investor in second position or first position? What we were going to do with, uh, we were doing with this one is that we were actually going to do the LLC together. Uh, so it would be actually in a land trust. My apologies, not an LLC. We were going to do a land trust together on that. Uh, and so he would be a 50% owner on the property because he was also going to be funding not only the down payment, but also all the rehab because he's actually a really big, uh, construction commercial guy in our, in our market. So I knew that he had the right team for that kind of renovation. Okay. 
So you're partnering on this particular deal with a private money guy and a contractor, the same. same He's guy. the same person. Okay. If if you if you didn't have him and you were just using a regular private money lender, how would you structure? How would you protect that private investor? Yeah. So they would want to be having a uh, like a mortgage or a promissory note recorded on the property. Of course, it would be a very difficult thing to negotiate. For them to be in first position, uh, they, these people would have to be okay with being in second position because the seller is has the bulk of the mortgage, right? If they're willing to do the principal only, there's their mortgage is still after a twenty five percent down payment that still brings it up to about two twenty five. Yeah, um, yeah. So then, so what I'm thinking of is, and I used to do a lot of these deals. So the reason I'm asking mm-hmm. is sometimes my the cash flow was really good, but my there wasn't enough room to get my private money lender in second position and make them feel comfortable with it. Right. Yeah. Because then their, their loan to value would be about 90%. Yeah. Which worst case, they maybe get their money back, may not. Right. So some of the deals I would tell the seller in order for this to happen, um, in order for me to make you this offer here, I'm going to have to have my private investor in first position and the seller will be in second position. Have you ever structured a deal like that? I haven't had to put the person in, in first position or the, the private lender in the first position yet. No, I haven't had to do that yet. Okay. Because it it worked. The seller said on this one particular deal I'm thinking of, the seller said, yeah, okay, that's great. Because they were in a desperate situation. They needed to get out. Mm-hmm. Then fast forward a couple of years after they forget the pain that they were in. And now things are a lot better, et cetera, et cetera. They're like, wait a second. This doesn't sound right. <laughs> I have this private investor who's in first position. With only, I think it's on that particular deal is like twenty grand, and they're in second position with like a hundred grand. Like, wait a second. So they talked to their attorney. I didn't do anything wrong. I used a title company, and everything was above board. They all signed all kinds of disclosures. But the attorney of the seller said mortgage fraud, mortgage fraud, red red flag, red flag, which is ridiculous. None at all. But it just didn't look that good. Right. The reason I'm bringing this up is, um. When you when when you're taking on owner financing and you're giving the seller a big, you're giving them a higher price. Mm-hmm. You're going to need private money for the down payment and for the repair. So in this particular deal, about you're going to need to borrow seventy five for the down payment and one hundred and twenty for repairs. That's almost two hundred thousand dollars, right? Yep. But you're going to need private money for this deal. Mm-hmm. That's worth. What'd you say again? What's worth fixed up about four fifty? Four fifty. You're actually it's a great mortgage. I mean, you're getting zero percent down. Right. So let's not forget that. That's so you're a little over leveraged at the at the beginning of this, aren't you? Yeah. Yeah. But that's yeah. That as you're as you're about to go into, that's the power of it being a principal only. Because uh, then what it does over sixty payments, it now drops it down significantly. Right. So your first year, let me get my calculator out here. You're paying twelve hundred and fifty dollars a month principal only payments. Mm-hmm. So that's fifteen grand a year. You're paying bang down. You're paying down your principal, and over yep. five years. That's 75 grand you've been paying down your principal on, right? Yep. And not including the cash flow you're getting, because you're going to be getting 4,400 gross rents. You're out, your, your taxes, I mean, your, your payment, your insurance taxes, let's say are going to be two grand a month, 2,500 a month, maybe. That's about 1,900, $2,000 a month in cash flow. But then you have to take vacancies and maintenance and repairs and all of that mm-hmm. out. But like your cash flow is really, really good. If you're putting an additional $1,000 down towards your principal, you're building your equity up that much faster, right? Yep. Okay. So, but you, in this particular deal, you had a private investor who was partnering with you kind of on this deal. Right. Could you have made this work without that kind of a private investor? I think it would have been a little bit more of a tough approach. Uh, This is somebody that I've known now for a very long time. Once I was 
going into the the RIA uh, back in like 2016, this was always one of my coach and mentors. And uh, I was completely fine because at the end of the day, I think people have to also understand at this exact moment, I have $0 out of my pocket. Yeah. Right. I'm about to split cash flow and then whatever we make on the back end. And I've still put $0 into my, in, into this, in, into this investment, which is crazy. If I'm willing to do that, I mean, you keep on doing that for four or five properties. I mean, you're, you're getting 50% and you're not putting any money down. I mean, your, your, your ROI is infinite. Well, let's talk about this for a second then. I've heard some people say that equity doesn't matter. Cash flow is all that matters. Is that true? I always like to say, why can I have both? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But in this deal, do you have both right now at the beginning? At the beginning, you don't. No. So for how long would it take you approximately to get some equity into this deal? So so as you just mentioned, it's going to be 75000 over the the entire span of that that loan. So that comes out to, um, I think at the original time, it's about roughly another 25% off of the 300000 price, right? So... Well, we're getting a little complicated and detailed here. And I, and I, I don't want to dive, I don't, I don't want to dive too deep in the weeds, but you, you have a calculator that shows you kind of the long-term profit of this Correct. deal, right? Uh, maybe that's something you can just at least show us later on. Yeah. Yeah. I can, I can be able to pull it up. I did pull up, uh, I think I did save that, that Excel sheet. Okay. That'd be cool to look at real quick because, um, I get the argument that if I'm just playing a devil's advocate. Sure. Because I get the argument, yeah. As long as it cash flows, that's okay. Because does you could be upside down. You can have very little equity. You have no equity. Doesn't matter if it cash flows. And when you factor in the tax write offs and the depreciation, um, and especially when you're not using any of your own money, you're cash flowing. It's good. Your ROI is infinite. But I always think worst case, worst right. case scenario, right? Like, what if the rehab costs? You know, two hundred thousand instead of one hundred twenty thousand. What if yeah. it doesn't? Yeah, and of course, I mean, you always have your due diligence period to be able yeah. to make those types of adjustments. Um, you know, when we did do this property, we did get an inspection done because we also, obviously, as you can imagine, with a condemned unit, we didn't know how severe it is, right? So it's very easy to, you know, have at least get the results back, think about what the estimations were, and. Once again, the, the beauty of being able to have this type of partner is that the partner was also somebody that's doing a lot of rehabs. So we knew what we were getting into, which was uh, after doing inspections, everything like that is obviously a lot more powerful. And that's why I was easily willing to do a 50% equity split on the property. He's coming up with the money. He knows how to bring in some of uh, some of his, his skills and expertise to the table. I'm the only person that I just essentially generated the lead and structured the deal. Are right. you managing the property in, during the rental time as well then? Yeah. So mm -hmm. you're, you're acting as your own property manager? On this one, um, he actually owns a property management company too. Okay. So I'm sure that, uh, yeah, we're, we're still in the middle of being able to do some stuff for it. But um, yeah, their company is going to be able to do the property management for it as well. And, and I don't know Orlando as well as you do, but I would think that 120 grand is enough money to fully rehab this property very nicely, right? Well, of course, it's four units, right? So you're yeah. if it was just one property doing 120k, absolutely, I think it would be you know a high end looking property, right? But this property was uh, an older property, and then once again, it's it, it it just had that tired landlord, no updates, a condemned unit kind of thing. So that money got uh, you know that money goes quick. Yeah. Uh -huh. All right. So in this particular deal, if you were not if you were going to use private money. That would be a little trickier because you wouldn't be able to protect 
that's private investor that much in second position. Yeah. Um, but yeah. because in this one, I, I had a, I, you know, I guess it, at the end of the day, you got to remember, like, I, I was, I was talking with this, uh, with, with my partner on this one for quite some time. And then once we started finding out what it needed, that's when I, I actually was talking to three private lenders. Uh-huh. He was one of them. And then once I found out how much renovations it was going to need, that's when I brought this one in because at yeah. the end of the day, I was still willing to be able to split up that amount of equity. But at the end of the day, I'm, I'm getting utilized some of his experience. Well, uh, and, and a this couple is of other deals, can... we've had to only put in eight to maybe 15,000 in work. Yeah. So this would be one of the, you could have a fourth offer as well, couldn't you? You could say to the seller, all right, for offer number three, I'll give you 300,000. But because it needs 120 grand in repairs, the only way I can get my private partner or financial partner to invest with me in this deal is he has to be in first position and you have to be in second position. Mm-hmm. So if you tell that to the seller up front and that's part of your written agreement, you've got all kinds of CYA things signed, you know, that's, that would be a good, that would be a good opportunity to do that because then <laughs> that's easy to find private money. If that private yeah. investor is going to be in first position and their loan to value is maybe 25%, like that's really, really good. I agree. Uh, but then the fourth option could be, all right, well, Mr. Seller, if you insist on being in first position, then I can't give you 300. I can give you maybe 250, something like that. So then you would have more room to protect your private investor. I, this is important, guys. I want you to understand this. If you don't understand what we're talking about, once you start looking into these kinds of deals, once you start raising private money, you have to put your private investors' interests in first position. 100%. Like your private investors, they get paid first. Mm-hmm. They, you have to make sure 100% that they get paid their money back. If the deal falls apart, I don't care if you're personally responsible or person, if you have what's that called on a, if you're, um, well, anyway, the, the, the phrase I'm thinking about is if you are personally for the loan, whatever, if it's a private investor, you've got to make sure even if you, if the, if the deal dies and you lose the deal, your private investor still gets paid back. 100%. Yeah. I mean, and at the end of the day, if you're, if you're somebody doing this in your local community, that's, that's part of your brand. That's part of your reputation. Can you, I can't even imagine being able to sleep well at night, understanding that I, I sunk somebody that, you know, just like anybody else here, we're not any kind of multi-billion dollar conglomerates. We're talking about what we just mentioned of, of like $200,000. That, that can impact anybody in our, and especially in this day and age with, with what we're about to see with going on in a, in a potential like, tidal wave of what 2023 might be macroeconomically. But yeah, yeah, man, I mean, it is so important. That's why I was completely willing to do uh, an equity partnership on it as opposed to just a private lender. Uh, More times than not, though, we do do the private lender route for just the smaller amounts of like, say, down payments or any kind of rehabs for it. Definitely. So private investor always gets paid first, Mm -hmm. always gets paid first, right? So let's look at this deal then. Do you have a calculator that you can share a profit Uh, that you can uh show? All right, cool. So at the top right, it kind of shows you a quick little recap of what based off of the results were like uh, cap rate, cash on cash uh, return, a 1% rule, and then an internal rate of return, right? All right. So here's where we start breaking it down in the debt financing situation, total financing cost. And by the way, this, can you tell us where you got this spreadsheet from, where other people can get it maybe? Yeah, this one is just, I think it was just called rental analysis. And so they have a basic one and an advanced one. Uh, I paid for the advanced one because it, it was just better for the multifamily ones. Who, who's who's they? Uh, the company? Yeah, who, who'd you get the spreadsheet from? Um, my partner got it. I'll have to, I'll put that in the show notes. Maybe, does it have it on here somewhere? Let me see. 
I'll put it in the show notes on, or I'll give you that information after. I don't know what the, the company is off the top of my head. All right. So um, guys, again, joemccall.com slash David, joemccall.com slash David. We'll show you mm-hmm. how to get this spreadsheet here. All right, cool. So walk us walk us through this. Yeah. So uh, as we mentioned, we went through the purchase price. We are also being able to go through right here what we believe the rehab estimation was going to be, the 125, right? So uh, we have a property type here uh, on the left side. It was, like I said, four units. Um, we also believed uh, with the properties, these were large, these are all large one bedrooms that we could probably split out and frame out and put another bedroom within it. So there could have been even more value. There could be even more value add with being able to do that. So that's why we have it as eight bedrooms, four baths when we walked it. These were all huge one bedroom, one baths. Um, and then some of them, uh, the, one of the tenants that was, uh, paying when he wanted had like subleased it. He was making more money than probably the seller was. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. So we're scrolling down. We're going into some of the, here it goes. So the rental income stuff and the property insurance taxes and whatnot. So it was at this area, it's, it's a lower income area. So the property taxes were only about $3,000 a month. I mean, a year for the property, right? We put it in an assumption on the low end of being able to be at 1000 per property. Uh, so that shows that it's at a 12000 annual per unit. Okay. So that shows um, it being able to bring in roughly 48000 a year. Okay. So from there, uh, like I said, we went through the property taxes, property insurance, and I'm sure that this would have actually gone up a little bit higher. We got kind of lucky that we did this right before the hurricanes came through. Uh, everybody that I know that's trying to get insurance now is, uh, not too happy. <laughs> uh, we did go through and we did assume on a 10% vacancy rate, uh, just an annual rent increase. And that's pretty low at 2%. Uh, I think you could easily, you can easily make it really five to 10, but we were trying to be a little bit more conservative with the numbers. Are you saving uh, anything and setting aside for CapEx future repairs and maintenance? So this is... This is what we were running into with it, Joe, is that we were going to put in everything pretty much new. So we didn't in the first year. Okay. And you're not putting anything for property management either in here, right? No, because he owned the property management group. Okay. So we got to be able to keep that in-house too. So that worked out a tremendous... Like, once again, it's knowing who your network is with those private lenders. And if if you're if you're not thinking about bringing them in, in as equity partners, they're going to bring more to the table than just simply money. And that's what I was looking for. I was looking for a partner on the deal, not just a private lender. Okay. So then, yeah, then it goes through and just does a great breakdown on being able to understand what our, you know, our net operating income and cash flow is going to look like first year, monthly. Uh, and then it just does a great KPI breakdown or key, key performance indicators showing us at a roughly about that, like I said, that 8% cap rate, 45% cash on cash. And then, you know, just about where the 1% rule is after all is said and done with being able to do the renovations and everything like that. It's just at about a 1% rule. Because we, like I said, we made it conservative. Uh, we were at a total of 425, just showing a let's be conservative and just do 1000 on each property. So the cash on cash return, how are you basing that? Is that the cash that was put into the property in terms of down payment and repairs? Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Cash out in three years. What does that mean? That, that was if we wanted to be able to just get out of it on three years. Uh, that's it. Okay. And the 1% rule, just for people who don't know, that just means if if a house is $100,000, it should rent, gross rent, for about $1,000. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's the kind of 1% rule. 
If it's a yeah. two hundred thousand dollar house, it should rent for two thousand dollars a month. Yes, sir. And so that was pretty much um, what we went through with it. All right, cool. So your cap rate, your target is ten percent, mm-hmm. and um, internal rate of return, levered profits. Okay. So what is the what are some of the numbers that you really look at to see if this is a good deal or not? So what I always like to be able to see at the end of the day is when I am being able to create, you know, say like a private lender loan and also being able to create the seller financing loan, how much more are we looking for on that cash flow play? As you as you kind of mentioned the the whole equ- uh, equity versus cash flow play, uh, I like to be able to see how much can we get close to that 10% cap rate and also a 1% rule or even higher if we can of course target it. With this property, the you know, the cash on cash ends up being pretty good because at the end of the day, we're not really having to assume a whole bunch. All right. So you're also, mm-hmm. you're not paying any principal and interest. Oh, wait, aren't you though? Because right now it's blank there on the left. You are paying some principal to the seller. Right. But your private right. investor, so you're, not, you're not making any payments mm-hmm. to your private investor, right? I'm sorry? Are you making any monthly payments to your private investor? Yeah. Yeah. So we would be able to split anything on the net profit. I, I'm sorry. I didn't put that in there on that one. All right, so your principal and interest to the owner is seventeen fifty a month, right? Yeah. So your net cash flow is about how much a month? So we haven't been able to get this all, uh, all this, all this one done yet. So the forty four hundred. Say that again. Your look right there on your sheet there on the left. Your cash mm-hmm. flow per year is twenty eight twenty five, but you still need to put in there right the principal payments to the seller, which are about seventeen fifty a month, right? I put that in there. More thing, mortgage payment right there is thirteen eighty nine. That's what I put in there for it. Jeez, I didn't. I don't think I broke it. I broke it down as well. All right. So, but if you're, unless I'm looking at it wrong, and and, and I apologize if I'm throwing some mud into the water. But um, after you, 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 it's important to know what your net net cash flow is <clears throat> every day, um, mm-hmm. every month, right? Right. And uh, and what is your minimum net cash flow um, requirements? So when you look into a deal like this, what are some of the minimum numbers that you're looking for? For me personally, I would like to be able to be at about three hundred to four hundred dollars per door. Three to four hundred dollars per door. Cool. Yeah, that's what I'd like to be at for it. But at the end of the day, I also am willing to exchange it if I'm not really bringing any money to the table. Yeah. So is you, I'm, I'm sorry, just to break because I'm, I'm still confused about this. Your cash flow year one is that number right? The twenty eight, twenty six. Oh, that's year one. I thought that was monthly. No, wait that. Okay, yeah. What's your monthly cash flow? So I don't know why it's breaking it down. I think it's because it's doing it as a net operating income. But the monthly cash flow is is going to be four thousand dollars on the like I said on the conservative side right here. That's the gross right. That's your gross income incoming rent. Right. All right. Well, maybe something's not coming over. I don't think what I did is I probably inputted everything just because we haven't been able to solve. We haven't inputted everything on a final. All right. Yeah. Okay. So you have a private investor who's lending the money who's managing the rehab. He's also going to be managing the property. What is your role going to be in this deal? Is it just you found the deal and you... Yeah. Yeah. What I'm going to be able to do with that is, is yeah, it's, it's, I'm not really having to really do a whole bunch with it. That's, that's why I was willing to be able to give so much of the equity away and be able to do that. He was also coming into it with knowing that he wanted to be able to have tax write-offs for this year. Mm-hmm. So this was also a very big play for him to have some tax write-offs. Do you guys have to negotiate who gets the tax write-offs? Does he get 100% of them? Do you? How do you split that? You know, I haven't I haven't gotten into that part yet. I'm sure I'll uh, I'll have to talk to him about that pretty soon. All right, cool. So, do you have a 
Do you have another calculator or spreadsheet you use when you're making your offers to the seller that will show the, in terms of how to make the offers? Does that make sense? Or is that just something no, you come up is, in your head and, and kind of work it out? I, I usually try coming up with in my head and then I start working it out on the Excel sheets based off of the conversations that I'm having with them. Okay. All right. Let's talk about some of the frequently asked questions. Some of the objections a seller is going to bring you okay. when they say, ah, you know what? I don't want to sell or finance. Why don't you just give me my money now? Or five years is too long. Can you do less? You know, can you talk about that? Yeah. So when it comes to being able to go through some of the frequently asked questions like that, it's always give and take, right? If you want this price, here's my terms. And if they are willing to be able to do that, then I'm going to make... They're all levers, right? At the end of the day. If you're if you're trying to shore up this, then I'm having to either drop down price. I might have to drop down what I'm doing on a down payment. So I use all the other terms as part of the negotiation. Okay. Do you have a document you can share with us? Sure. Um, I do have to be leaving in about 5 minutes. I do have to ah. give you that heads up. Okay. I do too. <laughs> I forget with how fast these kind of go that like... Uh, <laughs> well, let's just uh, review these. Like you just lose track of time with it. Why don't, why don't you just show us real quick that frequently asked questions and we'll make it sure everybody gets it. JoeMcCall.com slash David. Sure. And it's a Google, it's a doc, Word document that mm-hmm. kind of answers uh, some common questions to common objections that sellers have. And I want to make sure you guys have this because it's really valuable. The seller's going to say, well, I want interest or I want price or I want all of it. And so how do you kind of work that, work through that? So, you know, like here it is, is it legal? Can I buy another house? What about the right. due on sale clause? Um, are you going? To, when are you going to refi me my mortgage? Um, is the mortgage still in my name? So these some of these questions are subject to questions, right? Right, right. Because um, like I said, I started off with being able to do the uh, being able to. I like being able to structure, um, especially if they already have, say, like a already a mortgage on it, and then maybe it's just a really small mortgage. Like I said, the principal only one. Sometimes what we'll do with that is that we'll structure also that we maybe either pay out the smaller amount of mortgage or there's just a little bit left on it. Yeah. So uh, what if you stop making payments? That's a great question that they're going to yeah. ask, right? I yeah. want interest. Why aren't you paying me interest? I know a guy too, by the way, who, who makes a lot of owner financing offers and he goes ahead and gives them one or 2% because it's just easier pill to swallow than 0%. And it's really not that much money, but, and he gets to write it off. But, yeah. Um, I, I have I have thought about doing like a one or two percent offers, but what I was willing to typically do is um, obviously, as you kind of know, I'm willing to go a little bit above the asking price yeah, and kind of yeah. build it in on that. Yeah, good. All right, so what else do you have here? Educating the seller. Yeah, yeah, of course. So you know, educating the seller. Is, I mean, once again, we got to make sure that these people aren't people that need to sell within like 30 days, right? We got to make sure that we are grooming a lead, making sure that we're building trust without this entire process. So what do you want to do? What are you hoping to accomplish? Where do you want to be? So these are all obviously the questions that you have to be able to understand as you're starting to gear up how you make three offers, right? This is so critical. I mean, you know, being able to make sure that they understand that you aren't getting all this money up front because sometimes people get... I don't, I don't understand how you can make three offers and then somehow think that you're still getting all the money up front and then be able to understand that, no, the offer three, you are holding now a mortgage, but we are willing to pay you up front and give you a down payment. And so sometimes it's just, you just got to work through some small things that you you don't think you need to re- uh, repeat too often, but you, you end up having to. Yeah. Okay, good. What else do you have in this paper here? Yeah. So being able to... Um, Transition into the options. We buy them two different ways. 
I always like to be able to make sure that in a subject two situation, as you kind of know, I have it really big open for my lead managers and acquisitions managers, right? Make sure you understand that you are not being able to assume the loan. We are yeah. just simply taking over the payments. Yeah. The loan stays in your name. I get the deed. Awesome. So that's always, I, 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 I highlight that one because I found, yeah. I, I was listening to some of my recordings on some of the lead managers and they would be like, yeah, we would assume the loan. And I'm like, yeah. I'm like no. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> cool. All right. So this document has just a lot of good notes. Um, yeah. Scripts it's, it's on how to explain the hybrid. Yeah. The hybrid is really quickly. So a hybrid comes into place when they are still, we are still being able to keep what the mortgage looks like in place. And then we are also based off of the amount of remaining equity, also paying them a monthly payment on that. Yeah. So that's what the hybrid approach is, right? So sometimes that one is also, um, it's not necessarily that part of a conversation to have, but you, you want to make sure they understand that there is two payments being done, one towards your mortgage and one now towards you as that second loan. Yep. All right, David, thank you so much. This whole document here, we got to go. Appreciate you going long here. I'm sorry for starting late. Um, yeah. Guys, if you want more information on on this, that what we're talking about, the case study that we just looked at, the yep. details of the notes there, where David can get a calculator, um, where you can get a calculator like David has. We're going to put that into the show notes. Right. But also that frequently asked questions objection handling script is at joemccall.com slash David, and you can get that for free in there. David, how can people get a hold of you if they want to reach you? Yeah, as you can probably imagine, uh, David Pupo is not too common of a name. Uh, so you can find me pretty easily on social media, uh, Facebook, Instagram, uh, TikTok. Um, also, uh, there is davidpupo.com. And then there, we're building out tripleoffer.com right now as well. Nice. Uh, so we're going to be making that website come out pretty soon. Very good. David Pupo, P-U-P-O. And uh, man, I sure appreciate you being on the show. David, thank you so much for sharing this stuff. And thanks for asking or answering all of my tough questions. <laughs> hey, man, I appreciate it. Like th th this opportunity to be able to just have somebody as, as experienced with you, Joe, is always just such a pleasure, man. Um, you've obviously done hundreds, if not thousands of these types of transactions. So uh, it also is great to be able to see any kind of blind spots that I might have too. And like, hey, I was like, oh, I did. you're right. I didn't put that in there. I didn't even notice. <laughs> yeah. Well, good. Appreciate you. Thank you, everybody, for listening to the podcast. Have a good one. See you later. Thanks, David. Thanks. Bye-bye, everybody. Oh.